0: This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast, where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. Together, by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time.
1: A lot of those triggers go back to that time, because that is when almost all of us are struggling to fit
0: in and struggling to find our place in this huge hierarchy. In this episode, I interview David Nabinski. Not only is David a friend and a colleague and someone with whom I grew my podcast from the very, very beginning in 2018, but he's also someone that I've sought out as a mentor, as a fellow creator, And he's also someone who has been mentored by the incredible Seth Godin. So definitely connected through that means. We discuss in this podcast episode flexibility, agency, our ability to connect post-COVID through in-real-life, in-person events, such as conferences, unconferences, podcast mixers, and more. We talk about this time, which is like a merge lane. And... It has a sort of hybrid element to it. We talk about all sorts of things, including the awkward zone. You know, that time when you're at a cocktail party or you're at an event and it's the first 15 minutes to half an hour and you don't quite know where you belong. Well, David has the answer for you if you're ever hosting an event like that. And we talk a little bit about the background of his podcasting and how his conferences, the in real life ones, that is how they started. And we discuss all sorts of things, including how he prepares, some of the rewarding aspects of in real life events, and some of the challenges. He is such a joy to connect with. And I always learn something when I sit down to talk to David Nabinsky. Check out his podcast, the Portfolio Career Podcast, or check him out. In this episode, Hedrick Nichols and I discuss finding your blind spots and her a really, really important work in equity, anti-bias, and belonging. She is an absolute firecracker. She has so much wonderful energy, and she talks about how to really dig into this idea of belonging. We can really identify some of the things that put us off, some of the people that might trigger us, and then examine through questioning how we can maneuver that and get away from that cognitive bias that tells us that we are either one way or another. She is absolutely brilliant in the way that she talks about some of the resources that are absolutely at our fingertips, that we can, as administrators and educators, create this amazing culture of belonging, and that we can really stop to think, hmm, how are we including everyone around us and making everyone feel welcome? Who are we representing? She also talks about three really important resources that any teacher can include within their startup and throughout the year to make everyone feel welcome. And she talks about the difference between cultural responsiveness and cultural responsibility, which is a really important distinction for mindset. I hope that you enjoy this conversation and get as much out of it as I did. Hey, and one more thing, if you're feeling stuck, frustrated, or feeling a little burnt out, or like you just can't quite reach your expansive goals, I want you to check out my new book from burnt out to fired up, reigniting your passion for teaching available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and just about anywhere you get your books. It's actionable. It's research-based and it will transform your life and practice through my five R's framework. You'll learn to reflect, reframe, refocus your goals, reconnect with those around you and reveal the truest expression of who you are as an educator and as an individual. Just search Morgan Michael from Burnt Out to Fired Up. That's Morgan Michael, M-O-R-G-A-N-E, from Burnt Out to Fired Up to reserve your very own copy today. You can do the book at your own pace or snag a bunch of copies for a staff room book club. The practices are meant to be shared. And if you're looking for inspiring lessons or daily inspirations for yourself, search Small Act Big Impact in Google for my website and for my Instagram pages. Hedrick Nichols, I just want to welcome you to Kindsight 101 with me, your host, Morgan Michael. I am so excited today to speak to you specifically around cultural responsiveness and belonging. This is such an important conversation, and I just can't wait for my audience to hear you speak. Morgan, thank you
1: so very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this, and we can get to meet live soon, so this is even a
0: greater honor. Yes, yes, we do. I want to just start by having you maybe just give us a little background into your your role, some of your interests, and what has brought you to this point. You have a podcast. You're doing all sorts of amazing speaking and work around this particular topic. Can you give us a little background? Oh, gosh. I would love to. I don't know if anyone happens to be
1: an edu-news nerd. <laughs> I grew up in HISD. And HISD is going through a lot of changes right now. Uh, when it when I went to school in HISD was going through quite a few changes. I was the first. I'm the first generation of post Jim Crow babies, and so I actually was a part of that first wave of students who integrated HISD. Wow. And so that's a big part of my background. Things that I experienced as someone who didn't look like my um, the students next to me. Um, Everyone didn't rush to send their kids across town to the white school, and so there was often just I call it a, a the OBF, the one black, one black friend. Mm-hmm. So my background is is that, and seeing that, even though uh, I'm actually an older mom, seeing my son go through the same things that could arguably be <clears throat> two generations, wow, later. you know, and seeing him seeing him go through some of the same things that I I went through, just because. People are often well-meaning, but don't dig into what it really feels like to be an outsider, especially when there are a lot of people who don't look like you.
0: Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. And so, well, let's start there. Can you paint a picture of what that felt like for you and maybe some examples of, of what that experience would have been? Because I think that not only does that shed light on you know your experience and honoring that, but also I think... There are probably other educators who have experienced similar things and this can help inform them. Like, I think I'm on the west coast of Canada and we have a large indigenous population and a great deal of, of reconciliation is sort of in progress, but there's still some residual. I mean, there will always be, I think, residual effects from that learning, growing together and so. Yeah, can you share a little bit more about what that might have felt like at the time and maybe what you're seeing for your son too? Absolutely. I mean, I love that you said learning and growing together because that's the point that we're
1: learning and growing together. And sometimes learning and growing is is not as comfortable as we like, but the the important thing is that we are learning and growing together. So one of the things I remember was having my guest book signed and, and, and they said, to the prettiest black girl in the whole school. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, was, that was well-meaning. Um, but it was, of course, you know, it, I, and I'm pretty sure that I didn't get it at that moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but basically, you kind of feel like, okay, it's a compliment, but something's missing.-hmm, it was that. um, I also remember one of my favorite stories is actually being in high school, and um, by this time it there was it, it, I wasn't the only. But there was still there was still a substantial group of white students as opposed to black students. I think it was like white black white students, black students, then a few of Vietnamese students. Mm-hmm. Time that was, um, <clears throat> they were coming in as immigrants, and a few Hispanic students. So they didn't have you know you weren't going to get prom queen or you know right. or was any of those big things because just the ver- the votes just weren't there. People often been voted along racial lines or voted people they knew that clo- they were closest to. So right. they came up with this really great thing so that black people would also be represented. And I know that somebody, you know, was thoughtful and kind in coming up with this, but it was one of the most embarrassing moments of our life. I won Miss Soul. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, oh, horrendous. Yeah, yeah so I, I remember walking to the stage, it was senior, oh. so like last week, a senior year before college. And all of the, everybody, all of my white friends were like, (laughs) and all of my black friends were looking at me like, sell out. (laughs) (laughs) Correo, whatever, it's it's such a cringy moment. So those kinds of things, because Miss Soul, Mr. Soul was basically the, the, you're popular with white people of war. Oh my gosh, that is so horrendous. Oh my goodness. Oh like I said, I know it came out of a really good space. You know yeah. what I mean? They yeah. want to make sure that the black kids got honored too. It sure. Was just they didn't know it from the other side and what that might feel like, especially with the dance between two cultures.
0: Of course. And then yeah, well, when we think about belonging, I've heard, you know, various people on my podcast sort of talk about their identity within the context of that and and what we might have called sort of multiracial, you know, children, right, who grow up and then tell about how they didn't really fit, feel like they fit into, say, a particular ethnic category, nor the other one. And so that was challenging too. And like you said, like there would be repercussions either way if from, from varying groups. So there's so much at play and it's so complex. And I think though it's well-meaning, I think a lot of educators don't always know how to how to establish that sense of belonging. And although we want to be universal in our approach, we do need to differentiate. We need to understand and be sensitive that our own experiences may not be, uh, you know, empathic enough, or we may not have the experience to understand when we're misstepping. And so and and to create that culture where every child, feels like they're part of that classroom. Every child feels like they're part of the school. So when it comes to that, you know, you do a lot of work with educators and with administrators. Let's talk about educators first. And I do want to talk also about administrators because I think that they're important in setting that tone. But what are some ways or some actual strategies that we can use to ensure that every student in our classroom feels like they're part of part of this cohesive unit? You know, I think you mentioned it. The big part
1: is understanding that my experience may not be universal. Yeah. Uh, It may not be universal. I I, I, I write in Finding Your Blind Spots, I write that my experience is not universal for all women, for all black women, for all black women of a certain generation raised in the post Jim Crow South. It's my experience. I mm-hmm. can use the lessons that I learned and, 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 and help you to translate them into something that's useful for you, but it's not universal. I think that realization is huge. And the other realization is to look around you. You know, again, we think often of the big work of belonging and, you know, looking at um, the, the groups in our classroom, the, the identity groups in our classroom that may not feel like they belong. But a uh, the, the do the personal thing. Who in your family is the person everyone eye rolls at at Thanksgiving? Well, right. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm in the U.S., so
0: yeah. What you guys have Thanksgiving? We have today. Thanksgiving time, But I mean, at any family, yeah, any family yeah. kind of event, yeah, we do. It's just a different time. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm trying to be universal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, what you know? Think of, there's always this family gathering, and there's almost always it's a sister or an in-law. And there, oh God, here she goes again. Yeah, that Who is that person? Right. And why is that person an outsider? Mm. Why is it okay that in, you know, in the family circle, we all kind of murmur, 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 God, did y'all see her at, oh my God, did you? Why is yeah. that? Why have we allowed that person to be an outsider? And right. how can we build a circle of inclusion around that person? Mm. What is it that? that is off-putting about them, Mm -hmm. what does it trigger in us? Because usually that's the thing. It triggers something in us. Yeah. And how can we maneuver beyond that trigger to make that person a a more welcome
0: person in our circle? In our inner circle. Love that. That idea. Okay, so someone might feel off-putting maybe because they feel different to us or they, they are perceived as different to us or the group and then that triggers something. And then from there asking that really important question of, okay, how do we move beyond that? And how do we actually build this circle of belonging around them? I I love that. Um, Why, you know, I think about the way that our brains work. You know, we like to stay in our comfort zones when we're trying anything risky. We like to be, I mean, we might not like it, but our brains like us to be in the comfort zone. So why do you think it is that particular people trigger that in us? Do you know, like what? What is it that, that, that difference kind of causes so much, I don't, it's not really angst, but it's some, for some people, it's such significant feelings. Like, what
1: is it? You always said, you just said it. You said, what is it about our brains that Mm -hmm. do that? Mm -hmm. You know, cognitive, cognitive bias is, um, is inborn. (laughs) We think of the B word as, oh, you're racist. You're biased. We don't think about cognitive bias being the way that we separate things and not and don't die from 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 decision fatigue yeah now, when I look at it's hard plastic it has four legs hmm, and the back and it's in a classroom oh gee what could it be yeah no right. that's a <laughs> right yeah when we go hiking we see a four-legged creature we know if it's a dog or a bear we know yes. if we run or you know if we can say oh honey where's your mommy yeah things so that's important to realize that that sorting of this is something familiar this is something unfamiliar and possibly dangerous and it goes back they when anything familiar anything anything unfamiliar could have literally been you know detrimental or or really been you know our lives could have been in danger yeah so that's that's a part of our evolutionary history so yeah. hopefully, hopefully we can embrace bias as just something. It's a natural way to sort. Right. It starts off as a natural way to sort. That's right. Simply a cognitive sorting mechanism. And when it goes over to bias on steroids, where we see person in hoodie evil. Right. And everybody wears a hoodie these days. But we still have that because yeah. the figure in a hoodie is the hacker. Right. The figure in the hoodie on the streets is the thief. And right so that's ingrained because we keep seeing those images so right realize that and we we realize that we always sort into familiar being safe mm-hmm. and then unfamiliar being less safe or even unsafe yeah then
0: we can kind of start to see our own patterns and our own triggers okay that is so fascinating and I think that that you know I I can't remember who said it but that idea that like we are not responsible for our first thought that kind of comes into our head but we are We are responsible for the subsequent thoughts and then the subsequent actions that come as a result of that initial thought. And I think what you're saying ultimately is, okay, so we have these biases. It just is. It's a fact. Now, what do you do with that? How can you unpack that? How can you question it? So how how can we in the classroom then? Like what can educators ask themselves or ask of each other so that we, you know, as we're starting up a school year in September in Canada, right? that we can do so in a really responsive and ethical, careful way. My favorite
1: workshop thing to do is to talk about who I was in middle school or high school. Mm -hmm. Most of our triggers can be traced back to who we were in middle school or high school. Oh my gosh, that's wild. I mean, the mean girls grow up as the mean girls. And they will, even though they'll evolve and hopefully not be mean girls, they will identify in a classroom with the mean girls because, yeah. you know what I mean? That's kind of yeah. who they were. If right. there was, um, you know, the science fair kid who is now, you know, he could be, uh, was a Bill Nye the science guy. Right. But in the classroom, he, as a teacher, he might identify more with the nerdy guys who are like all about the science and the engineering and the coding. And he might instead, instinctively kind of be wary of jocks because right. they're the ones who used to you know slap him on the neck or knock him <laughs> down or you know do so whoever you when you a lot of those triggers go back to that time because that interesting. is interesting almost all of us are struggling to fit in yeah and struggling to find our place in this huge hierarchy and so a lot of things like I for me it was it was mean girls mm-hmm. I was not a mean girl mm-hmm. I was bullied by a couple of mean girls mm-hmm. like one year and then another year back to back Mm -hmm. And it was just, I I was into my career probably seven, eight, nine years when I realized, you know what, quiet, studious girls can be just as mean, (laughs) you know, but I would be, I would automatically think, oh, that child is being bullied. No, that child probably said something that you never knew about because, right. Not loud, and right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just finding those things. Yeah. When you, before you get into your classroom and realizing, and it's usually just a thought. It's not as yeah. cool thing is you don't have to go digging through a, a yearbook and identify people. You just have yeah. to remember who did I like, who who did I like, who was part of my social in group, and who did I dislike, who disliked me, mm-hmm. and who's not a part of my in group, who's a part of the out group, who who were the others. Mm-hmm. And generally, those 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 things kind of stay with us.
0: Isn't that interesting? Wow. What about for administrators? Because I think, you know, it's one thing to be to be creating a classroom with students. When you're dealing with other adults, there's a lot of different things that we can do as leaders to establish a culture of belonging and and that psychological safety, right? What are some of the things that administrators can keep in mind? Specifically around cu- cultural sensitivity, but just generally too, you know, just making people feel welcome, like they're part of something. Generally, we, uh,
1: I will look at uh, politics, for example. I know that I've I've heard people say that Canadians feel like they're living over a
0: meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> I've never said that, but you know, I I mean you just you never when it's when it's high high political, you know, when there's when it's highly charged. Certainly, we see a lot on the newsfeed for sure, for sure, right. And I mean, I and I, I read
1: international news and the stuff is never as, as volatile as what happens here. Yes. And that, that's sad. So being mindful of those kinds of things, I think we, 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 we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And as administrators, as leaders, we build our in-groups, our cliques, and mm-hmm. we do the same. You see it in a, for example, in a, in a PD, the old teachers sit together with the older teachers, the new right. kids together with the new teachers the coaches all sit together in their little section and so we kind of we let those groups grow and as administrators we have our own groups our own favorites Mm -hmm. and those are often the people in the building who win the awards or who get those kind those those certain privileges and you know the teacher doing great work who might be quiet and in her room doing amazing work will never be seen because he or she's not a part of the the in group right so as in administrators, realizing that your staff, you, if you really want to create a sense of belonging, then ensure that you yourself are are equally, or at least equitably accessible to all of your staff. Oh, and good one. Word that, that is, that's your strategy because you lead from the top down so if, you lead, if you're leading from the top down or modeling the behaviors you want to see for your teachers and your students mm-hmm. then you ensure that nobody has the feeling that oh, well, you know, that's her favorite.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is really toxic, really, at the end of the day. It's a toxic culture if you lead that way, for sure. Uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering about what is it that maybe new educators who are exploring, you know, b- being culturally sensitive, who feel like they're not sure which resources to to explore, or they are feeling like, Okay, there's a resource that I want to explore, but it might be controversial. What advice do you have for really any teachers, but specifically new teachers, on having some difficult conversations around equity, around belonging, around anti-bias, any of those kinds of things? Like, what what would you say to teachers? Because, I, you know, sometimes it can be brave work and it can be challenging work. And it really depends on your where you are, which school you're at. But, you know, there's so many different opinions, and it can be so easy to be swayed by the outside world, you know, the, the kind of work that you do.
1: I think for new teachers, um, there are two kinds of new teachers when we're talking about this. There are the teachers who are aware mm-hmm. that this might be something I need to put on my radar. And then there are teachers who are completely unaware that this is something, you know what I mean? I'm colorblind. Everything's the same. Everybody's right. the same. I love all my students. Right. And right. I while I like the intent of that statement, mm-hmm. it also means that you don't see your students. You know yeah. what I mean? You may not. You may be a kindergartner who's still a kindergarten teacher who still says, all right, guys, let's come and sit Indian style on the carpet. Oh, my goodness. That <laughs> shit is <laughs> pretty cringy. Yeah, uh-huh. but you may not know that because you just may not right. even schools that 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 says that that does not honor the indigenous experience. Right, right. Um. So if you are if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, "Wow, I've never thought of these things." Yeah. Look up things like belonging. Mm-hmm. Look up things like cultural responsible teaching. Mm-hmm. Look up things like uh, SEL. Really. Yeah. And 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 look at those things and find. Your thread that you want to pull on, because a lot you'll you'll find tons and tons of resources. Yeah, don't get overwhelmed. Pull, you know, scroll through and find something that you find interesting. That you say, ah, this is this is where I can start. Like right. your, I find your own start here. Okay, I love that. I love that. all yeah, side of the same place, and that's you know. What I mean, I have friends who um in my na- like in my area who never ever met white pe- black people before me. Are you? serious? And- okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in Texas and actually in the U.S. There are many pockets that are still like that. Yeah. And so even in 2023. And so we ha- we get to have conversations because we're friends and we're transparent. And that, yeah. that's a good thing. But if they're teaching, they would start very differently as somebody who maybe went to a racially diverse school or, you know, has an idea, maybe comes from a, a, a different community and L- the LGBTQ community, yeah. those kinds of things. So if right. you are a person that you know about identity and you know about, culturally responsive teaching already, then I would say branch out into expanding your personal circle because mm-hmm. a lot of times we know those things academically, a lot but times. we don't necessarily go to the hip-hop course. We go to our course in our gym where everybody looks a little more like us, or so we may go to a worship experience that where people look like us, but we don't visit. I, there's, an, there's an Indian restaurant I just found out recently here in Dallas. Yeah. It's a part of the temple Oh, and the you goodness. actually go in, and and there's worship service at 4:30. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I've <laughs> never done <laughs> that. I've, I've I've been to worship, and I've I've had a Jewish worship experience. Yeah, I've had. Uh, I'm I'm from a Baptist background. I've had Catholic ones. I've gone to. Um, oh God, just several different kinds of experiences. Yeah, so that's what that one I haven't had. So I've done are Indian in my actually in my classroom. Well, I'm not in the classroom, but I yes, am. yes, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And you are. And I think whether you're in there actively as a teacher or you're educating teachers, I think that perspective still trickles down. Right. And I I like that. I think that's a really cool. That's a really cool, very accessible way to do it to actually. I love that you pointed that out because I think, yeah, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of learning. I'm going to do some research. And then to not actually go beyond the confines of like your group. That's really important. I also think sometimes. I mean, up here, especially in British Columbia, it is—it's on the west coast, right? So I would say we're quite—we're quite aware on an at least academic level of of some of the issues that have come up. I think sometimes a lot of us feel maybe like we might do it wrong, and I think this also includes that you mentioned the LGBTQ community. You know, we talk about gender inclusivity and and you know the non-binary experience. And all of those different experiences and, and realities. And, you know, you just don't want to get it wrong. And what would you say to somebody who wants to explore this but just doesn't want to step on toes, doesn't want to accidentally insult anybody, you know? Uh, what what do you say to people? Don't be afraid to get it wrong. I, yeah. I, I, my favorite workshop is entitled Don't Be Afraid
1: to Get It Wrong because you will. Yeah, I said earlier in this podcast, I said uh, you know, the way he or she, da da, 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 da da. Because growing up in a in a world that was very much binary, I'll still forget to be say to say they, which I could now use for he, she and they, which is actually a lot simpler. Yeah. But I'll forget because years of history did not prepare me to say it all the time or saying pregnant people. You right. know, that those kinds of things, those those are those are new experiences and mm-hmm. it's okay and that's okay. You know, yeah. you're you're allowed to I, I have a student i'm teaching i'm doing a skills rotation so i am actually in the classroom for whole oh, night nice. it's really good to keep my perspective yeah. and my skills fresh yeah and i have a student and it's like no i'm her i was like oh my god i am so sorry yeah okay sometimes i will mess up I- if yeah. i mispronounce your name or if i say the wrong gender god y'all know i'm just old please forgive me okay correct me as many times i want you to feel safe and yeah. if you have name you want me to call you or anything else, please tell me. And you might have to tell me more than once, but I'm going to get it like yeah. that. Like that. I, it's okay. I will get it wrong. Right. I'm okay with getting it wrong. I'm just not okay with getting it wrong over and over and letting my embarrassment keep me from mm-hmm. at,
0: at some point finally getting it right. Love that. Okay. And that gives people permission to try and maybe not be perfect. And I think sometimes that holds us back the most from trying anything that's new, right? Um. What is your what is your hope? This is really broad this one. What is your hope or your vision for the future of education? When you're doing the work that you do, you know, I'd love for you to talk about your podcast and and your book and and the work that you do, but when you do the work that you do, you know, I have a mentor who always says, I'm doing this for a reason. You know, there's a not necessarily an end goal, but there's some guiding purpose. There's there's somebody I'm speaking to. Like what what are you what are you hoping that looks Looks like for you.
1: Oh, I know exactly. So, my son um came home and said one time, My God, it's Black History Month. Mama ain't Black History Month. And you know, this, I do this kind of stuff. I've been like an advocate for decades. Yeah. (laughs) But I put my mommy face on. Oh, honey, why? Yeah. Deeply concerned in the background. Yeah. And she said, Because mom, every time they talk about something, now in his class, I think he was this particular year, one of maybe four or five kids out of about, you know, 25 or yep. 28. And he said, because, Mom, every time they ask something or talk about something, everybody looks at me like I'm supposed to know everything. I'm only eight or nine or however he was at that moment. Yeah. At that and I want, that's what I experienced. I remember when everybody watched the the, the documentary in February and when we talk about it in class, you know, i get, the you know, everybody <laughs> was looking, and I was like, "I'm a I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I still don't know all the answers. i have not the yeah. expert on the black, yeah. the black experience right. all. So I would hope that Chris, my son, that his children we have a different experience. Mm. So that is an easy answer. That that's my hope. Yeah. So you know, and when, if his ch- children are having a different experience, that means that we as a society of people. Have taken a giant step forward because if it hasn't changed between my schooling as a f- first generation post Jim Crow baby and up until now a post Obama presidency baby, if we haven't yeah. still made that, then if we can make that by the time he has kids in school, right? I'll, I'll be able to, learn, you know. Okay, I can ride out the sunset
0: <laughs> happy now. <laughs> I love that. I think that's great. Tell me about your podcast. What what are you? What are you? discussing what's important to you when you set off to do that what are your big themes with that absolutely
1: all of these things talking about um uh, it's called small bites Mm -hmm. and it's a short five minute small bite reflection and a couple of things that you can try out and i absolutely love it because when you start looking at this work Oh, when my indigenous kids. Oh, when my Indian kids. Oh, when my Hispanic kids. Oh, wait, my Hispanic kids are different from different places, and you can get so overwhelmed. Yes, you cannot suddenly remake yourself into. I know all things. I can be all things to all people. You you're not gonna be that. You'll be you know you will l- live on this journey for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. The important thing is being on this journey. So take a small bite of something. Mm-hmm. You know, I I went to Hawaii this past this in May. And it was an amazing experience because I really approached it from the small bite side, from the looking at not just beaches and, and yeah. vacation, really looking at. We say AAPI, you know, um, Asian American Pacific Islander, but we really just talk about AA. We really so I didn't know. I really had no experience in the Pacific Island, Islander heritage, even yeah, this work, you know. So. Right. My Small Bites hadn't gotten me to this part of the pizza yet. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I learned about the Marshallese Islands and the Bikini Islands and, uh, you know, Bikini Atoll and just all of these things. Yeah. So oh, pick something and start. Small Might Bites be a start. learner. Yeah, Small Bites says pick something and start. Mm-hmm. And it's it's based on the things that I, I, I wrote about it in Finding Your Blind Spots. Uh, which is an eight piece framework for how to become a better, a more culturally responsive educator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the word culturally responsible. Ah, okay. It's responsive is kind of like what what's happening in my classroom. Okay, let me get on that. Like a band aid. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Got it. And I like that. Responsible. It's a mindset. You know what I mean? I am admitting that I may not know what I need to know to serve all of my students best but I am committing to learning and growing in that way.
0: Oh, that's such a great distinction and I really love that. Cuz if you think about the the metaphor even of of healthcare. So instead of pulling people out of the river and trying to fix the problems and it, it you know, it's just such a different approach as opposed to let's start things off right and let's do it yeah. the responsible way. I really like that. What if you had like two or three tips to give? educators right now what would you what would you tell them as they head off into this fresh new year okay my favorite favorite tip mm-hmm. is especially if
1: you are a primary teacher or a teacher that has crayons in your room period yeah buy the colors of the world yes yeah, some people know that that exists but crayon you know when I was kids like what's well, skin tone peach and yeah it was the only color and yeah. color crayon, that's crayon, that friola has now colors of the world and i think they go up to they were it was 12 and then it was 16 and now it's like i think you can get 64 or 100 i forgot and they've gotten bigger and bigger <laughs> with all of these different shades in them yeah so normalizing skin tone is oh, here here's what's the skin where's the skin crayon here it is and there's yes. like box of them. yes so that's that. a very, very simple thing you can do um Buy books, especially if you are teaching in a homogenous population, mm-hmm. buy books that do not reflect your population. A lot of times we think, well, I don't have any indigenous people, so I don't have to worry about this mm-hmm. or hey, everybody in my class. We all we all look the same. It's not an important thing, but it is because you want to prepare your kids to go out into the world. Yeah. And so the other thing is to make sure that your dolls, your play, your toys, your books, reflect diverse experiences mm-hmm. you know everybody's got the christmas around the world book but mm-hmm. i mean going going deeper and when i say different experiences i don't mean necessarily a book about um rosa parks yeah i'm a, a story book a picture book yeah. about a black kid who goes to school in canada oh yeah you know, just so that we normalize different narratives because we all we're having universal experiences yeah you know we often talk about the indigenous experience and that stuff, the reconciliation stuff. Yeah, it's like experience and the immigrant experience, but normalizing diverse narratives, doing everyday normal stuff. Yeah, okay, kind of, you know that that kind
0: of thing. I love that. I think that's great and a very accessible. It's very accessible, and I think somebody said like diversity is like a window, right? It's like creating a window and. I think that that's a really beautiful way and very accessible way to do it and not feel like you're, quote, getting it wrong. Is there, would you say that there are a, a few resources that you'd recommend for educators before I, before I let you go? Oh gosh, I absolutely
1: love, we need diverse com. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite resources because it's, they have it, they have, it's just huge. That's all I can say. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> anything great from, from, from little baby picture books all the way up to YA to young adult novels and different, all kinds of genres, all kinds of of themes, all kinds of diverse authors, I would say that. Right. I would say if you are a fine arts teacher, mm-hmm. remember to look for, uh, well, two things, math and science and fine arts. Those are those places where you really have um, uh, heroes that are only uh generally that are that are part of the white space you know what i mean you know think of music you think of beethoven and Bach and and mozart and that's about it and we teach that very much still you know astronauts you're right yeah 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 Yeah. math and sciences and like you can did you know that ellen okoa the astronaut you can follow her on twitter oh amazing amazing (laughs) yeah she's on twitter so i would say do a segment with your class You know, we think of teachers as we need to provide resources. Well, I don't know about you, but you are decorating your class and doing lesson plans and trying to get ready. Think of this as a shared journey with your students. Mm. So do a little. I I also have a workshop. It's called Who Else Was There? Mm. And just ask some questions. You know, what was the child experience like on the great frontier? You know, what did. What did women do who did work back in the 20s and 30s? You know, Amelia Earhart's experience is not something that we see, you know, as she, she was a, she was a math and science person. Right. We don't think of her. And there are many other people. She's, of course, the name that I come up yeah. with. I, so go with your kids. We have, yeah. we, we have a little thing called the internet. <laughs> oh, instead of you thinking, I've got to find resources for my kids. Think of, I'm going to pose these questions and I'm going like to wake up the thought that, oh, wow, this is not all that there is. Let's all go off in 20 different directions and look and see what we find and bring those things back together and and then do a gallery walk, you know, do a QR code gallery walk or an actual physical one so that you can learn about people who might not be represented in your curriculum.
0: Amazing and so accessible. Hedrick, thank you so much for all of these tips and this conversation. Is there anything that you'd want to add uh, for educators a message you know, before we sign off. Both educators and administrators, don't be afraid to get it wrong. It's a journey. I love it. Well, bite. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a pleasure and very informative. So thank you for everything. Thank you as well, Morgan. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 Day Kindness Challenge and Movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kindsight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.